Good evening. On February 25th, 2020, Mayor London Reed declared a state of emergency in regards to COVID-19. Thereafter, Governor Newsom issued a statewide order for all residents to shelter in place. And following that, numerous orders of the county health officer and supplemental mayoral proclamations and directives were issued to slow and reduce the spread of COVID-19. As authorized by California Government Code Section 54953 little e, and the mayor's 45th supplement to her February 25th, 2020 emergency proclamation, the Rent Board Commission's meeting this evening is being held remotely without providing a physical location. Members of the Rent Board Commission will participate and vote by video. Members of the public may observe the meeting live online at the link listed on the agenda and remote meeting access information and may provide public comment by telephone by dialing in to 415-655-0001, entering access code 2493-197-3738, and then entering webinar password 7368. Because tonight's meeting is being streamed using WebEx, please be aware that there may be moments of silence, connection issues, or a slight delay between the actual meeting and what members of the public are seeing. Please know that we are doing the best we can and we ask for your patience. I am Executive Director and Board Secretary, Christina Varner, and the Rent Board staff member, Diana Flores, and I will be ma managing the technological functions this evening. Commissioners and staff, if you have not already done so, please mute your microphones to minimize background noise and keep them muted unless you are actively speaking. As in previous meetings, I wanna thank several people uh, who have worked to make this meeting possible, and it continues over and over again these past almost three years, um, including the Rent Board Commissioners, staff at the Department of Technology, uh, Rent Board staff, particularly Kathy Helton, Elvira James, Lee Hyun, Diana Flores, Lenny Gragason, uh, Senior ALJs Joey Kumis and Connie Brandon, and several other departments board secretaries who continue to provide much needed advice on remote meetings. Thank you. The commission has strongly encouraged interested parties to submit their comments in writing prior to this meeting to rentboard at sfgov.org. The public comment call-in instructions are posted with the agenda located on the rent board's website at sf.gov rentboard in the meetings section. The meeting instructions have changed slightly and members of the public who wish to provide public comment must now enter a webinar numeric uh, password after entering the access code. While you may view the meeting using the link uh, located on the website and listed on the agenda and remote meeting access information, public comment may only be given by dialing in on the phone. The phone number to call into the meeting to give public comment is 415-655-0001. You will then enter access code 2493-197-3738, press pound, and then enter the webinar numeric password 7368 and press pound again. You will hear the meeting as you wait on the line. You will then dial star and three to enter the public comment queue. You will then hear you have raised your hand to ask a question please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When the system says you're being asked to unmute yourself to unmute, dial star, press star six, dial star and then six. Please make sure that you're in a quiet location and that all computers, phones, TVs, and other devices around you are muted so there is no echo sound while you speak. 
You are encouraged but not required to state your name for the record. If you're calling to speak regarding an item on the agenda, please state which item you are speaking about. Please note that anything you say during public comment cannot be used as evidence in regards to the item on which you are speaking. You will have three minutes to speak, and if you have an interpreter on the line with you, you will have six minutes. To withdraw your question, dial star and three again, and you will hear you have lowered your hand. When your three minutes are up, staff will so indicate and your line will be muted. You will be moved out of the speaker line and back as an attendee in the meeting unless you disconnect. You may stay on the line if you wish to speak uh, during another public comment opportunity. And please do visit the uh, REMP Board's website uh, for ongoing updates as things are changing quite rapidly. We appreciate it. Thank you, Executive Director Varner. Uh, I'd like to call the meeting to order. And I'd appreciate uh, Commissioner Tom uh, to read the uh, Ramatush Ohlone land acknowledgement. That we are on ancestral homeland, the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone never ceded, loaned, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respect by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. Thank you, Commissioner Tom. Uh, Executive Director, uh, roll call, please. Pardon me, I'm on mute. <laughs> President Gruber. Here. President Gruber present. Commissioner Tom. Yeah. Commissioner Tom present. And Commissioner Tom, my apologies. Your your mic is a bit low this evening. Commissioner Wasserman. Here. Commissioner Wasserman present. Commissioner Klein. Commissioner Klein not present. Commissioner Mossbrucker? Here. Commissioner Mossbrucker present. Commissioner Crow? Here. Commissioner Crow present. Commissioner Chan? Commissioner Chan not present. Commissioner Sawney? Present. Commissioner Sawney present. Commissioner Hung? Here. Commissioner Hung present. And Commissioner Haley? Here. Commissioner Haley present. Um, I would like to acknowledge that the following staff members are also present this evening. Senior Administrative Law Judge Connie Brandon, Senior Administrative Law Judge Joey Kumis, Rent Board Specialist Diana Flores, and myself, Executive Director and Board Secretary Christina Varner.
Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to announce that uh, um, on the agenda, item number 10, new business uh, being item of a pro, uh, uh, proposed amendments to rules and regulations section 1010 regarding tenant right to organize legislation will be taken out of order from its appearance on the agenda and will be heard directly after the second public comment period and before item seven communications. Um, if uh, uh, we're about to uh, uh, go to the uh, remarks from the public shortly, and we have two of them, one before our appeal consideration, one after, I would ask if you could wait to make your comments on 1010 uh, to after we've done our consideration of appeals and uh, we um, uh, have our second uh, uh, remarks from the public. With that, uh, uh, I'll move on to item number four, approval of the minutes of January 17. I'll move to approve. Second. Any additions, subtractions, comments? Call for the vote, please. A motion to approve the minutes of January 17th, 2023. Uh, Commissioner Wasserman? Aye. Commissioner Mossbrucker? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Commissioner Tom? Commissioner Tom? I don't know if he's hearing you. Commissioner Tom? I think you're unmuted, Commissioner Tom. I'm sorry, you're muted, Commissioner Tom. Doesn't seem to be talking. Commissioner Tom, are you able to unmute? Now he's talking. I I have him on my cell phone here. He says he can't get any sound. Okay. So uh, I, I've got him right here. Uh, what do you? What should we do? Well, we wouldn't be Hold able. On, to, I, yeah, Tom. I, I suggest you um, probably uh, depart the meeting and rejoin. And I think you, know, you were do? having sound earlier, so we'll go ahead and. Uh, Continue the vote and go back to Commissioner Tom. Would you approve the minutes, please? Yes, yeah, so let's pardon me. Um, Commissioner Crow? I abstain. I wasn't at the meeting. Okay, let me see if I can hear now. Yes, yes. Are you able to hear Commissioner Tom? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. I will. Uh, <laughs> there's an echo in the there's background. In the back. So I'm I'm calling for the vote for the approval of the minutes of January 17th. So Commissioner Tom. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Sawney. Commissioner Hung. I'm also going to abstain. Thank you. And Commissioner Haley. Aye. Thank you, Commissioners. The minutes have been approved. 
Yes, President Gruber. Okay, with that, we move on to item number five, remarks from the public. Give me just one moment. It is now time for the first of two public comment call-in periods. The second public comment period will occur after the consideration of appeals. Both public comment periods tonight are for general public comment and for all items listed on the agenda. The meeting instructions have changed slightly and members of the public who wish to provide public comment must now enter a webinar numeric password after entering the access code or the webinar code. The public comment call-in instructions are posted with the agenda located on the Rent Board's website at sf.gov slash rentboard in the meetings section. While you may view the meeting using the link located on the website and listed on the agenda and remote meeting access information, public comment may only be given by dialing in on the phone. The phone number to call into the meeting to give public comment is 415-655-0001. You will then enter access code 2493-197-3738, press pound, and then enter the webinar numeric password 7368 and press pound again. You will hear the meeting as you wait on the line. You will then dial star and three to enter the public comment queue. You will then hear you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When the system says you are being asked to unmute yourself, to unmute, press star six, dial star and then six. Please make sure that you are in a quiet location and that all computers, phones, TVs, and other devices around you are muted so there is no echo sound while you speak. You are encouraged, but not required, to state your name for the record. If you're calling to speak regarding an item on the agenda, please state which item you are speaking about. Please note that anything you say during public comment cannot be used as evidence in regards to the item on which you are speaking. You will have three minutes to speak, and if you have an interpreter on the line with you, you will have six minutes. To withdraw your question, dial star and three again and you will hear you have lowered your hand. When your three minutes are up, staff will so indicate and your line will be muted. You will be moved out of the speaker line and back as an attendee in the meeting unless you disconnect. You may stay on the line if you wish to speak during another public comment opportunity. Renford staff member Diana Flores will be operating the phone system today. I will be keeping time. When your time is up, you should hear a timer ringing Time will be called and you as the caller will be muted. Uh, do we have any callers raising their hands in the queue wishing to provide public comment? Yes, we have six callers in the queue. Uh, thank you, Ms. Flores. Can you uh, pardon me just one quick moment? Give me just a second. Can you go ahead and please take the first caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. 
Hello, uh, board. This is Christopher Smith. How are you this evening? Am I being heard? Hello? You are being heard, sir. Please go right ahead. Okay. Um, I, I'm not sure if this is an appropriate time. Um, I have an appeal uh, of a tenant petition filed uh, in 2022, and uh, that um, appeal number is Alpha Tango 230003. I'm respectfully requesting that the um, the board uh, 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 restore my tenant petition against Gaetani and Diverto. Um, I was I missed the last scheduled meeting on January 4th. I was out of the state back in Kentucky. Uh, in fact, I was I've sent notice that I was out from November 12 to January 12. I was um, back visiting family and did not receive the notice for the meeting that was scheduled on January 4th. So I'd like to uh, still um, go before the rent board with my tenant petition. That's all I have, thank you. Thank you, caller. Thank you for muting the caller, Ms. Fotis. Can you please take the next caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. My name is Edward Singer. I'm the attorney for Gitani Real Estate on item number B on tonight's agenda. And I'm calling in support of the administrative law judge's decision to dismiss this petition um, with prejudice and ask that the rent board deny the tenant's appeal. Uh, the rent, the, the hearing was originally scheduled for October 26th. And during that hearing, the tenant requested um, that the hearing be postponed for him to have an opportunity to employ counsel. And as of tonight, it sounds like, uh, the tenant has yet to employ counsel. Um, he requested a second postponement, and in that second postponement, he stated that he would be available, he was unavailable through January 1st, so the hearing was rescheduled to January 4th. Um, the tenant in his, um, in his appeal admits that he received an email of that hearing date although he said he did not get to it until he got back to town. Um, but in any event, the most important aspect of this is that he requested the, the original postponement for the purpose of hiring an attorney, and we're three months into this case, and he has yet to employ counsel. And I have no further uh, comments. Thank you, Ms. Flores, for meeting the caller. Can you please take the next caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. Um, good evening, commissioners. My name is Peter Brayden, and I'm the non-attorney representative for the owners at 839 Broderick Street, commenting for item 6G, the appeal case number AL220066. The issue at the heart of our appeal boils down to an unwritten rule that was impossible for the owners to adhere to, which ultimately only serves to make it harder for landlords to finance and complete seismic retrofits in San Francisco. 
At multiple times over the course of this project, the owners of 839 Broderick Street reached out to the staff of the rent board to ask about financing requirements for capital improvement project and were never informed that financing needed to be secured before construction began in order to receive the actual interest rate of their loan applied to the pass-through. Every time we asked for information regarding financing requirements, we were told that any loan documentation would have to prove that the loan explicitly went to pay for the improvement project costs and nothing else. And going over section 7.14 of the rules and regulations, we have demonstrated that the owners have followed every requirement that has been set out in writing. It wasn't until we were at the hearing that Administrative Law Judge Jabra Lim told us that the rent board allows the actual interest rates of the loan to be applied to the pass-through only if the loan is secured before the start of the project. In our post-hearing response to Judge Lim, we were able to demonstrate that such a requirement actually necessitates paying more interest on the loan and that doing so would have resulted in a higher payment for both the landlord and the tenants if that actual interest rate had been applied to the pass-through. Historically, the rent board has drawn an imaginary line between landlords and tenants and has assumed that any conflict of interest between these two camps, that something that benefits one side must necessarily place the other at a disadvantage. We have been able to prove in both our post-hearing submissions and our written arguments for this appeal that in this case, the decision made by the rent board benefits neither side and in the long run actually makes it harder for buildings in San Francisco to be seismically retrofitted because owners who are acting in their best interest of their tenants or following the written rules to the letter are still being penalized for not following requirements that are unknown even to the rent board staff who advise the public. I hope that in this case you will be able to look up from this line drawn between landlords and tenants and see that having unwritten rules that complicate the funding of capital improvements ultimately make it harder for landlords to maintain their properties. Eventually, this practice will put tenants at just as much of a disadvantage and goes to serve neither side. In our case, the owners have demonstrated that they completely followed every written rule and can demonstrate that they have acted in the best interest of their tenants, both in trying to lower the number of interest payments and in trying to make the property safer in the eventuality of an earthquake. If a landlord is trying to serve their tenants, it makes no sense for the rent board to stand in their way. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you, caller. Ms. Flores, please go ahead and take the next caller. Caller, you will have three minutes. Hi, my name is Sam Wigan, and I'm the owner rep for 839 Broderick Street that Peter Braden just spoke about. In 2020, we started and completed a seismic retrofit for the building and utilized a PACE financing loan to cover the construction costs. The judge in our seismic pass-through petition erroneously rejected the actual interest rate, and we're appealing, as Peter mentioned, because the reasoning given is not supported by the rent board's own rules. The judge asserted it has, quote, long been the application of section 7.14 A and B that a fixed rate loan must be funded prior to or contemporaneously with the performance of the petition work, end quote. And that, quote, the landlord did not incur the interest expense at the time the work was performed or paid as required by section 7.14 A, end quote. That is incorrect. Section 7.14 does not require interest expense to be incurred precisely when work was performed. It is silent on timing. And when we spoke with the rent board help desk on at least four occasions and the question was elevated to superiors more than once, not a single person at the rent board was aware of or could confirm such a timing requirement. Further, our loan has a 20-year lifespan. A lack of actual interest rate for the first six months of construction should not nullify the actual interest incurred for the entire 20-year loan. 
There might be logic to applying the imputed rate to that short period prior to the loan commencing, but not to the entirety of a loan that already has an actual interest rate. Lastly, the judge asserted that this was, quote, a so-called reimbursement loan to replenish owner's operating funds after capital improvement work was performed, end quote. This is, again, false. Contrary to the judge's assertion, these were not freely available general use operating funds. There were funds in the account earmarked for the construction of the garage ADU, which necessarily had to occur after the seismic work was substantially complete. When we were told by the rent board help desk that we could fund our loan at the end of the seismic work without adversely impacting our pass-through petition, we calculated we could save $7,000 of interest charges by temporarily using the ADU funds knowing they would be replenished prior to the ADU work commencing by the seismic loan. We have worked our tails off to navigate, the to navigate the complicated rent board process diligently and in good faith. We read the rules and regs, we called the rent board help desk numerous times, and we temporarily ear accessed earmarked ADU funds to reduce the interest burden that we and our tenants will share. Yet the judge has relied on either a misreading of rent board rules or precedent that is not directly relevant to our unique situation. We do not ask for special consideration. We simply ask that the rent board follow its own written rules. There is no timing requirement in section 7.14 and we followed the rules and guidance made available to us. We simply ask the rent board do the same. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you, caller. Uh, for the record, uh, Commissioner Klein has joined the meeting at 626. Ms. Flores, are there uh, additional members of the public in the queue wishing to provide comment at this time? Yes, we have six more callers. Please go ahead and, and allow the next caller. Caller, you will have three minutes. Hello, my name is Laura Campbell. I am the attorney representative for line F, which is 300 Buchanan Street. I'll try to keep my comments fairly brief. What I mostly wanted to point out is that the points in appeal do not rise to the level of abusive discretion or error. Each of the items complained of is rather thoroughly and thoughtfully addressed by the ALJ in their determination and also addressed in the landlord supplemental submission, uh, which is a part of the record. I would specifically ask to just briefly turn uh, the commissioner's attention to paragraph 10 of the De seven, which does in fact uh, take maneuverability into account and goes into substantial detail about what level of service uh, the appealing tenant is guaranteed according to the terms of his lease. And I would also direct their attention to pages eight and nine of the landlord supplemental uh, submission. So, you know, in short, uh, maneuverability is fully addressed. Um, it's addressed to the level of any, you know, maneuverability study, which is in itself a, a term of art per se. And so we would ask that the ALJ's underlying determination be upheld. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Ms. Flores, can you please allow the next caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. Hello, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Can you hear me okay? Yes, please go ahead. Thank you, my name is Cynthia Smith. I'm the petitioner in 6C, and I appreciate this board being here this evening and its jurisdiction in this case. I also want to thank the staff for your help and support. This case has been on the books for a long time. I originally filed the petition in 2020. 
in the middle of the pandemic and after over six years of troubling issues in the building. I brought before the SFRB the areas you could tangibly address and hope this action might bring a sense of accountability to owners and management, even believing this might ameliorate harm. However, the issues worsen significantly and thus the reason for the amendment, part of which you'll be addressing tonight. My hope here beyond this case that you're hearing is to make note that there remain few mechanisms in the city to protect residents who are in the throes of challenges. The building department is limited in scope, as is the SFRB, and beyond legal action, residents are at the mercy of the whims of landlords whose best interests are in opposition to tenant lives and health. This is specifically important to me as I moved into this building to heal from a permanent serious injury that had occurred in another San Francisco building. My case, in fact, was written up in a medical journal and former Governor Schwarzenegger invited me to the Capitol to speak about a bill that was passed to protect other people like me. All I needed from this building at the center of this case was a safe home that honored the tenets of the agreement that we both signed and the regulations of this city. I honored mine, and instead I went from a harmful situation that was only compounded by the difficulties brought on by the current management and the owners of this building. So while this scope today is limited to very precise areas, my hope is that we in the city will find a better way to not put resident health and safety at the mercy of any owner or their hires, but that we can create a system of better accountability or training, even certification, and mechanisms of accessible early advocacy and intervention in a city that has brought so many other great things to our modern lives. So thank you for hearing me tonight. Keel, was that for? I believe that was 1700 Broadway Street. Thank you. Ms. Flores, are there additional members of the public in the queue wishing to provide comment? Yes, we have four more callers. Please allow the next caller. Caller, you have three minutes. Uh, yes, my name is John Bishop, and I want to speak about the uh, 300 Buchanan Street, item F, it's AT230008. Um, I'm not necessarily, I'm not opposed to the idea of adding more units to the building. I'm opposed to the plan that's currently proposed. The solution of using the basement garage door on Haight Street for wheelchair, knee scooter, or shopping basket users to come and go from is unworkable. The hill there is too steep and unsafe for someone in a wheelchair or knee scooter. Uh, one of the people that's appealing this, Brian Berger, his husband, Glenn, used one of those knee scooters before he passed away last year. And we used to be able to go down the street, um, down Haight Street, to the restaurants and the, uh, the drugstore and all those other items down there. And uh, we were able to do that because we were able to leave through the garage that's on Haight, uh, on Buchanan Street. And, and uh, uh, you know, we would go down the street and, you know, even then, our, our choices were limited because all the streets off of Haight Street have a hill to them, and to go down the hill would have been too dangerous, and it would have been impossible to come back up the hill. Um, 
and and the hill that the that we're being asked to lead through uh, uh, if you're handicapped is 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 a full story below the um, uh, Buchanan Street, uh, the corner of Hayton Buchanan, where you would be able to access all the things in the community that you would want to use. Uh, when we would come back from our visits down the street, uh, we would get back and we'd come in through the garage and there's a small incline in the garage and we would even have to push Glenn up the, the incline sometimes. So there would have been no way to get him up and down the hill that we're being asked to, uh, to use uh, if, if this plan goes through. I've lived in the building 29 years and plan to age in place here. I'm disabled and I have a number of mobility issues. I worry about being trapped in my apartment and not being able to leave because the only way out of the building would be for me to either go down the stairs or up an incline that's insurmountable. I've seen other residents age in place in the building and have observed their problems and almost all of them involve the steps in the lobby or the elevator not working, which happens quite often and for long periods of time. There are folks that live in the building, including myself, that use a shopping cart to go to Safeway with. Navigating down the hill to the basement uh, garage with water bottles would become very difficult. I'd be scared that I would lose control of the cart and it would get away from me and just start rolling down the hill. Finally, I wish to say that I don't understand how a building that is not ADA compliant or barely compliant is allowed to make it less so. It, it, Thank you, if this goes. Thank you, Ms. Flores, for muting the caller. Can you please allow the next caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. Hello, can I be Hello. heard? Yes, please go ahead. Hello, uh, my name is Jake Fishman. Uh, I'm a resident, a uh, long-term 40-year resident here at 300 Buchanan Street. And I believe I am number F on the agenda. And um, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm appealing the appeal uh, because uh, for several reasons, uh, I believe the judge erred in their, uh, in their discretion by relying on, from what, I, from what I can see, inaccurate diagrams that were provided by the landlord. Um, I've lived here a long time and uh, the diagrams that provide the parking um, don't seem to be uh, realistic. In any way. Um, um, also, uh, the you know the considerate the, the judge didn't take into consideration uh, my vehicles. I have a, a vehicle, uh, a scooter, and a storage space. And um, uh, the the spaces that I'm asked to uh, move into are nothing comparable to what I have now room and maneuverability issues uh, are, I don't see how, I don't see how I could safely maneuver a vehicle into the space they want me to move into, even if it was large enough to house the vehicles I have now. So if, uh, if the spaces that I'm supposed to be uh, given are anywhere 
are supposed to be comparable to what I have now, and definitely not. Um, I'm also uh, uh, slightly disabled and have some medical issues, and uh, I am very concerned about how, I'm, how I'd be able to uh, keep a vehicle and maneuver it um, the way the way things are uh, written up now. Um, and uh, uh, you know, I believe uh, without actually coming to this building and 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 seeing what the situation is and the realistic the the, the realistic uh, uh, perception of how we're supposed to move vehicles around and what was presented. I think uh, we'll be doing us a, a great disservice as tenants. So um, that's all I have to say at the moment. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Ms. Protis, can you please allow the next caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. Flores. The request has been sent to the caller. Thank you. Caller, please dial star six to unmute yourself. Graciela Espinosa. Please go ahead. You have three minutes. Do you have an interpreter? Señora, ¿tiene usted un intérprete? No. ¿Y usted va a hablar en inglés o en español? En español. En español. Okay, so the uh, caller does not have an interpreter. Um, If President Gruber, would you allow me to interpret? Since we don't have an interpreter at the moment. Um, sure. I did. Are there instructions? How she get online? Did she? Are there instructions in Spanish too? I, I'm not sure. She may. She may understand enough English to be able to to access the system, President Gruber. No. Go ahead. Okay. Señores, este, puedo puedo este uh, hacer intérprete para usted esta noche. Si usted me puede hacer el favor de de hablar un poquito um, lento, okay? Y tendrá usted seis minutos en total. So, uh, President Gruber yeah. and Commissioners, I was just telling the um, the caller that she will have uh, six minutes in total, um, and for her to speak slowly. Okay, pasa usted, señora. Sigue. Sí. Mi nombre es Graciela Espinosa. 
My name is Graciela Espinosa. Y estoy hablando a referente del señor Ramírez. And que me abusa. I'm speaking in regards me, to Mr. Ramirez who abused me. Me roba, me acosa, who me stole, stole from me and harassed me and mistreats me. Uh, fue mi error no poner los documentos en detalle. Los it especifiqué was, anteriormente. It was, it, was my, it was my error to not uh, put the documents in a detailed way. Señora, sigue usted. Aquí estoy. Ajá. El señor Ramírez abusa de mí. Yo le tengo mucho miedo. No puedo estar a gusto en mi casa porque él está ahí. Es muy violento conmigo. Tuvimos. Yo perdón, perdón, señora. Perdón, perdón, señora. Um, Mr. Ramírez has been uh, abusive to me, and I'm afraid to have him in the house. Uh, and he's been violent towards me. Sigue, señora. Sí. Sigue usted. Sí. Y yo tengo mucho miedo. El I'm very llegó. scared of him. He got angry. Por, porque yo lo llevé a corte. Because I took him to court. Y, y todos los documentos los puse en la apelación que metí porque ya soy una señora grande y se me olvidó. And because all of the all of the uh, documents and filings that I put, I filed, um, that's why he got angry. Um, and I'm an, I'm an older woman, a senior. Le pido, sí, al señor juez que, le pido al señor juez que por favor vea los detalles que entregué en la carta, por favor. I asked the judge to read all the details that I had put in the letter to please read all the details. Y los documentos que entregué son de aumento de renta y servicio de limpieza para el señor Ramírez. Que and all the documents room. that I put in, I put in were about a rent increase and uh, uh, cleaning services for, uh, for Mr. Ramirez. Es mi roommate. He's my roommate. Y yo le tengo mucho miedo. No me siento a gusto. And I'm very, and I'm very scared of him. I don't feel comfortable with him. Es todo lo que tengo que decir. That's all that I have to say. Ya, señora, está, está bien? The caller has been muted. Thank you, Ms. Flores. Thank you. Correct. This is item D, uh, three fifteen Seneca. I believe I believe that's correct. Thank you. Thank you for your patience, uh, President Gruber and Commissioners, and for that um, being allowed to interpret on a whim. Ms. Flores, are there additional callers in the queue wishing to provide comment? We have two more callers in the queue. Can you please take the next caller? 
Caller, you will have three minutes. Uh, hello, can you hear me? Yes, please go ahead. Hi, yes. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Brian Berger, and I reside at 300 Buchanan Street. I live in apartment 303, and I've lived here for over 35 years. And the reason I'm calling is because they want to put apartment spaces in our in where the garage area is. I have two current garage spaces now, which I'm asked to be relocated to a lower level garage. Um, the spaces that I have in the new parking garage that they want to give us doesn't um, match up with the space amount of space I currently have because they have two cars. So that's my first thing is that the spaces that have been allotted or will be allotted haven't met um, the criteria of what I have currently. Second thing, I want to reiterate what John Bishop said, my lover passed, my partner passed away uh, last October and he was handicapped. He was in the process possibly of losing his leg. His only access to our apartment was through the garage, which they're going to convert into apartments. Um, there is no ADA wheelchair accessible area in this whole apartment building except through the garage we currently have. So what's been uh, brought up is going to be the, the access for people in a wheelchair is on a hill. It's not, it's not, um, it's not even feasible to, to think somebody could use that in a wheelchair because we're on a, a steep hill. So that's uh, all I have to say is that the parking spots aren't going to match what we currently have. And there is no wheelchair access or people who are elderly can get their groceries into the apartment building without climbing up steps right now. So uh, I appreciate your time and good evening. And that's uh, all I have to say. Thank you, caller. Ms. Flores, are there additional members of the public in the queue wishing to provide comment? We have one more caller. Thank you so much. Can you please allow the caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. Good evening, Spring Carver here on behalf of Nikki Love, attorney for the petitioner regarding item D, 315 Seneca Avenue. I am requesting the rent board commissioners deny the landlord's appeal. The landlord issued multiple rent increases during the petitioner's tenancy. The tenant filed a petition and provided sufficient evidence for the administrative law judge to come to their decision all the way back in July of 2022. The ALJ correctly determined that these increases were illegal. The landlord is now attempting to reverse these decisions without providing any supporting documentation that warrants such a reversal. Thanks, I appreciate your time. Thank you, caller. Ms. Flores, are there uh, additional members of the public in the queue wishing to provide comment at this time? No, not at this time. Okay. So members of the public, um, we have been in the first public comment period for quite some time this evening so far. Um, we will have a second public comment period after the consideration of appeals. 
Um, so uh, there has been a lot of opportunity so far to provide comment. So we will go ahead and close um, this public comment period. And then again, there will be uh, another opportunity to speak on any general matter or on any uh, item on the agenda after the consideration of appeals. Pardon me just one moment. Thank you, Executive Director Varner. I'd like to move on to item number six, uh, consideration of appeals. We'll start with item A. Being 400 Grafton Avenue. The landlord's petition seeking a determination of whether the subject property or unit is exempt from the rent ordinance was dismissed due to the landlord's non-appearance at the hearing. On appeal, the landlord claims that they did not receive the notice of hearing because they were out of town and attaches the, rec the, the requisite declaration of non-receipt of notice of hearing. I move to remand with our standard admonition. I'll second that. Any further discussion? Call for the vote, please. A motion to accept the appeal and remand the case for a new hearing. Should the landlord again fail to appear absent extraordinary circumstances, no further hearings will be scheduled. Commissioner Wasserman? Aye. Commissioner Mossbrucker? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Sawney? And Commissioner Hung. Aye. Um, the owner will be notified of uh, of the vote, and uh, uh, and uh, the um, there'll be another hearing that you better not miss. Number uh, next, we'll go to item B, thirty-eight thirty Davisadero Street. Department 204, the tenant's petition alleging the lawful rent increase was dismissed due to the tenant's non-appearance at the hearing. On appeal, the tenant claims that they did not receive the notice of hearing because they were out of town and attaches documentation showing their travel itinerary. I'll move to remand. Got a problem with this one in that uh, <laughs> the the issues raised in the uh, landlord's briefing concern me. This is not our standard. Uh, I, I didn't get notice of the hearing, and here's why. And I, I understand we have a very you know generous policy with regard to to you. In fact, on the last matter, we we did did a remand with a standard admonition for my my motion, but. Uh, I've got a real problem here. I'd like to concur. It, it goes further uh, uh, where the uh, tenant actually suggested the right time after a number of different uh, uh, the delays um, and yet uh, um, uh, the claims that uh, he wasn't there during the time that he specified that, that he was available. 
also it does resonate that, that he wanted a delay to get an attorney and still has not. So I, I don't find it, I don't find his, uh, uh, his discussion uh, uh, something of, of, that we should consider. Travel plans change and the ability to get an attorney and the desire to get an attorney are two different things. Um, and he provided evidence that indicated he was out of town. His big mistake was not notifying the rent board that he has his travel plans had changed. I don't see that this is grounds for denying at a chance at having his case heard. Let me ask you a question, Commissioner Mossbrucker. If this were, if we were in court and this was a 473 motion, where, where do you think that would land him? I think it probably would be a difficult case if he had had a previous continuance, but that's a different standard than the standard that we use here. And we're looking at providing someone with their due process. We should have some threshold of a showing of legitimate mistakes is my argument. And that's not met here at all. So I complained about giving leeway probably 10 years ago now and was told repeatedly that it's just the way it is and that we give more room. And so in this case, although I agree with you that it's a little extreme, you should get standard admonition and we'll see what happens. Any further comments? Call for the vote, please. A motion to accept the appeal and remand the case for a new hearing. Should the tenant again fail to appear absent extraordinary circumstances, no further hearings will be scheduled. Commissioner Mossbrucker. Aye. Commissioner Sawney. Aye. President Gruber. Extremely reluctantly, aye. Commissioner Wasserman? Aye. And Commissioner Hung? Aye. That's uh, last chance, uh, tenant. Uh, don't uh, come up with any other excuses. Uh, we're not going to be very good with any more. So you'll be getting a, a notice from the uh, from the staff of, of, a, of a new hearing. Going to item C, 1700 Broadway Street, apartment 304. The tenants petitioning alleging decreased housing services was granted in part in the landlord is found liable for rent reductions in the amount of $9,859.65 for various conditions in the unit. On appeal, the tenant argues that a rent reduction should have been granted for the damage to her hardwood floors and that a greater rent reduction should have been granted for the noise disturbances caused by the upstairs tenant. I uh, have to recuse myself. I filed a notice of recusal already. Reason being, I'm a part owner in Vertex Property Group, which is apparently the property manager here, even though I had nothing to do with this matter. So I'll go ahead and log off. And Commissioner Wasserman has logged off the meeting. Discussion? Motions? Move to deny. I'll second that. 
Any discussion? Call for the vote. A motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Klein. Aye. Commissioner Mossbrecher. Aye. President Gruber. Aye. Commissioner Sawney. And Commissioner Hung. Aye. Um, the rent board uh, um, hearing officer's decision stand. We move on to item number D. President Cooper, pardon. Uh, we're awaiting uh, Commissioner Watson. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Meeting. Moving along too quickly. Thank you. While we're waiting, can I ask? Commissioner Sani to turn up his microphone. I'm having a lot of trouble hearing him. I'm sorry. Always, thank you for the heads up. And Commissioner Wasserman has returned to the meeting. Uh, I'd like to move on to item D, 315 Seneca Avenue. The tenant's petition claiming an unlawful rent increase was granted, and the landlord was found liable for rent overpayments in the amount of $8,850. On appeal, the landlord states that the tenant's rent included a, var a variable cleaning fee, that prices have increased due to inflation, and that she wasn't properly served with legal documents. I would move to deny. I'll second. Any further discussion? Call for the vote, please. A motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Mossbrecher. Aye. Commissioner Wasserman. Aye. President Gruber. Aye. Commissioner Sawney. Aye. <clears throat> Aye. And thank you. And Commissioner Hung. Aye. Thank you. The hearing officer's decision stands. We move on to item E, 4107 California Street, apartment number. The tenant's petition claiming an unlawful increase was granted, and the landlord was found liable for rent overpayments in the amount of $1,071.42. The administrative law judge determined that the tenant's initial monthly base rent was $1,645.42 and not the higher amount stated in the lease. The landlord did not appear at the hearing. On appeal, the landlord contends two items. One, that the lawful rent is the amount stated in the lease, and he's also appealing on the basis of financial hardship. I have a question for staff. How, how do we normally treat the appeal for landlord financial hardship in this situation? So, if you were to remand uh, the case on the basis of financial hardship, the ALJ would have to examine the uh, income and debts of all owners of the property and determine whether or not the total award would present a financial hardship for the landlord 
And if so, we would then we could then spread out the overpayments that are owed on a payment plan that's affordable for the landlord. We cannot waive any of the amounts owed, but we could spread out the amount owed over a period of time that was affordable to the landlord. So we would be dealing with a situation with an overpayment in the amount of $1,071 where someone has income of over 6 million and and um, supposedly a negative cash flow on his buildings. Um, I guess, you know, if that's what people want to do, I, I will support that. Well, isn't the question, do we have any, do we have any choice in the matter regarding, I mean, can, we're, we're, we can't necessarily decide a, a, a financial hardship here at the, at this meeting, can we? I don't think so. And I, help me out, where, where does it say the net operating income is $6 million? Isn't that the valuation? Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's what it's I think. assets, I think. I think it's assets. But would the hearing officer have to make the financial hardship decision anyways? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So I guess I would move to deny the substantive appeal and to remand for uh, hearing on the issue of financial hardship. I'll second. Any further discussion? Call for the vote, please. A motion to deny the appeal on the merits and to accept the appeal and remand the case to the ALJ to consider the landlord's claim of financial hardship. Commissioner Mossbrooker? Aye. Commissioner Wasserman? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Commissioner Sawney? Aye. And Commissioner Hung. Aye. I would just urge all housing providers listening to us tonight to really read up on, on these concessions and three months rent and all that stuff. Be very careful about it. Okay. The uh, um, ALJ's decision uh, uh, regarding the uh, stated amount of the uh, rent uh, stands and uh, the uh, financial hardship will be heard uh, at a hearing to be uh, notified uh, the, to the owner. We now move to item F, three Buchan uh, 300 Buchanan Street, apartments 303, 304, and 503. The tenant, apartment 503, objection on the landlord's Additional uh, dwelling unit declaration was dismissed due to the tenant's non-appearance at the hearing. The tenant appealed and the board remanded the case for a new hearing. Tenants in six units appeared at the remand hearing and raised objections. In the remand decision, the administrative law judge denied the tenant's objections and found that the landlord's pr proposed ADU construction project as proposed would not result in a substantial reduction in housing services pursuant to rent ordinance section 37.2 R 
the substantial reduction in housing services, oh, yeah, excuse me, the uh, tenants in three units now appeal the remand decision and argue that the ALJ did not fully address the tenants' objections regarding parking maneuverability in the planned garages. I move to deny. Commissioner Gruber, I apologize. I am out on this one. Um, I have previously represented the landlord and my firm worked on the underlying case. I have a recusal on file and I'll sign off now. Thank you. I'll move to deny. Go ahead, um, Executive Director. I, I, I second. Thank you. Any further discussion? Like, I would like to comment that I really didn't feel that the ALJ considered the um, accessibility issue or the ADA issues. I wish that there had been more discussion by the ALJ regarding that issue. Um, but given what was presented, I guess, I really can't argue too too much strongly about it, but I do think that is something that needs to be considered when we're cramming all these units into buildings is the accessibility for the existing tenants. These aren't commercial. This is residential. I mean, the ADA doesn't come into direct play here. It does come into play in terms of the accessibility for the tenants in a residential building. I mean, I, okay. Any further discussion? Just want to, I guess, go back. I also agree with uh, what, with Commissioner, um, with Commissioner Mossberger as well. Um, fully understanding that it meets the expectations of the planning code when it comes to maneuverability and the size of the spaces. Fully accept all the findings of the ALJ. Um, I think it's our intent, certainly, that we want to have our residents in the city age in place. And be able to have a home that we can live in for the long term. So uh, it's a concession that having more units and then losing those spaces is a real thing. So I don't want to make that think that what we're speaking today goes beyond the needs and the concerns of the people who live in this building. So, um, not I, I I would hope that maybe a reasonable accommodation could have applied in this circumstance so that the tenants could have access to that the ones that are losing because there are some level changes in accessibility for sure. I still think we have the ability to to do anything at this. Within our venue as the as a board, Jen, and I mean this sincerely. I, I know ground up construction. You, you do have disability requirements, but these are existing hundred year old buildings. I understand the are, existing existing buildings that are that are get, get are getting substantial rehabs done to them. And I, I pardon my ignorance, I, re, I really am. I don't know this. So is it true that that you have to bring all the common areas and whatnot into ADA compliance when you add the ADA? No, I don't. There's not really a, a, a specific thing that speaks to that. I think this is something that's a bit more of a, a vague area. If it is that the code, if it is that your, if it is the percentage of change that is happening to the property does occur, then it does trigger uh, the code app being applied to more of the building. But I think where the majority of the code hap majority of the renovations happening, the code therefore isn't applying to the most of the building. So that's why it's, that's why it's occurring in this manner. So that's why accessibilities are not being raised, which is unfortunate. Thank you for that. I, I, I learned something tonight. Thank you. Um, again, does not does not um, does not mean that it doesn't affect the people who do live there. 
So again, just want to just recognize that and recognize that this is going to be a change in usage for the people who live in the home, in the, the apartment building. I'd like to say that in, in my reading of the uh, administrative law judge's decision, uh, it is also pointed out that uh, there's a, a very significant amount of notification to the building when you're about to embark upon um, an ADU uh, uh, conversion um, that it uh, in includes uh, from the planning department um, uh, the numerous uh, the, uh, ways of, of uh, uh, bringing a, uh, an appeal. And, uh, and so th there's a process and it's in, in, it, in, in my reading of it, it's, it's a very significant process. And now uh, for it to come before us, um, almost uh, in a sense that to me almost becomes like a second bite of the apple or something that um, a, a decision is, is being made that they didn't like the first decision. So now they're going to come to us with a second one. And I don't think that this belongs with us. This is planning. Um, they, they are the ones that gave the authority for them to go ahead in, in a very heavily documented process. Well, I, I would, I would, I would disagree on that one. Um, so the plant, the, the process that's been established by, um, for the for additional ADUs is that before it gets be, right before the planning commission, uh, there needs to be a confirmation by the tenants that there is no decrease in housing services. Uh, so this is just the this is the natural process to make sure that the rights of the tenants who are living in the property are being heard, uh, and that there is a process that doesn't negatively affect them. So this is a process that was established in the ADU law for the city, um, and this is a second bite. This actually happens before they get to the planning department. Uh, be, just to make sure that uh, the the needs of the tents are being heard before, but uh, just to, just in terms of clarifying the process, and if and if I am misrepresenting, I welcome anyone to correct me. But that's from my understanding of it. Can, can I just ask a question? I'm just surprised that this that if this was the primary basis for the appeal, our accessibility issues, why that wasn't raised at the hearing, the planning hearing, or the or the, or the hearing with the rent board. The hearing, the hearing with the rent board. I think it was, if you go to page 21 lines, uh, 13 through 16, they, she, uh, the ALJ talks about that. It just, it seems like the emphasis in the, it didn't seem like this was the. Primary basis for, um, the tenants complaint. It seems like a, it's. So, I'm just wondering if there was, if the framework didn't. It, Anyway, precluded consideration of actual accessibility. I'll just just say here, and we have staff that you know, although accessibility is certainly an important consideration, the, the rent board, you know, we're, we're kind of limited. This is not a decrease in services petition. We're really limited That's into looking into whether or not the landlord's proposed ADU construction plans would result in the loss of one of these specific types of housing services. That are enumerated in our law, it's, you know, garage parking spots, storage spaces, gardens. Accessibility isn't really 1 of those things. So there's not going to be a lot of discussion in the rent boards decision about just accessibility unless it relates to 1 of those. Housing services that are identified in the law that that clears it for me. I that's what I'm saying. It doesn't seem the framework. It's, it's a framework that that addresses that issue head on. That well, considers. Sorry, sorry to interrupt us, uh, Commissioner Haley. I mean, wouldn't it be wouldn't you say that the accessibility was accessibility to the garage spaces and getting and leaving the garage spaces, and that's where the change of accessibility is being occurred? 
it, it seemed to me that they were just concerned about being able to get access to their apartment. Is there any further discussion? Call for the vote. And, and please uh, uh, tell us what the uh, motion is. A motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Wasserman. Aye. President Gruber. Aye. Commissioner Mossbrucker? No. Commissioner Sawney? No. And Commissioner Hung? Aye. The uh, administrative law judge's uh, decision stands. We now go to item G839, Broderick Street. Pardon, President Gruber. Yes. We're, oh, I'm uh, sorry. We have awaiting to wait for Commissioner Klein's return to the meeting. Thank you. Apologize. And Commissioner Klein has returned to the meeting. With that, we'll move on to item G839 Broderick Street. The landlord filed a petition seeking certification of capital improvement costs of $196,149.74 for a mandatory seismic retrofit, including loan fees of $16,712.74 in interest of seven um, in a quarter and they amortized over 20 years. The administrative law judge certified $177,557 of the total petitioned amount, but disallowed the loan fees and found that the landlord was only entitled to the imputed interest rate of 1.4% because the loan wasn't obtained until after the work was performed and paid in full. The landlord appeals on the basis that the loan proceeds were specifically earmarked for the capital improvement work, that the rent board's policies are unclear and arbitrary regarding capital improvement financing, and that the actual interest rate of 7.25% should be certified for pass-through. Move to the Second. Again, have a problem with this. Um, and there's this these unwritten rules, and and uh, this isn't the only instance where where the, you know policy that's not codified anywhere applies. And in the absence of there being a rule prohibiting uh, post improvement lending uh, to be passed through, um, you know, with regard to the interest expense, uh, I, I think that the the uh, Petitioner raises a very good point here that we need to discuss. And I'll also just say, like, this is exactly what we want people to be doing. We want our, if, if owners are building and they're going to pass these costs through, we want them to do it as cheaply as possible. 
rather than spending more money and passing more costs through. So, I mean, I understand that this seems like a small victory, but it, dis it disincentivizes the exact behavior we want owners to take, which is to pass through the least amount possible and save costs where they can. Maybe we should read the rule. The actual rule and regulation talks about the actual interest for the loan. And if you have used other monies to pay for the work and then later take out a loan, that is not the actual interest that is for the loan because you have chosen to designate your funds one way or as opposed to another. And I don't think it's an unwritten rule or it's unclear. I think 7.14 makes it clear that you have to actually take out a loan and have actual interest incurred in order to obtain the actual interest. Which is what occurred here. No, it That's is not. The loan was not taken out until after the work was done and paid for. Well, the, the timing, there's there's no reference to timing in the re regulation. Therein lies the ambiguity. I mean, I just, it, 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 this is not a fair result. That means that a landlord can simply take out a loan anytime and say, I'm using it to pay for this capital improvement because I've moved money around on my books that, you know, and for a year or two later, I can decide that's how I paid for my capital improvements. It wasn't the money I actually used at the time to pay for the capital improvements. That doesn't strike me as fair. That doesn't, that's not what here. happened here. That's not the, that's not the facts of the case here. It, it happened six months after the, the work was completed. Yes, so for senior ELJ, uh, Kumis, is it is this right that this has been the interpretation of of that provision? Correct. 100% uh, consistently across the board, you will not find a single rent board decision where we have certified actual interest of a loan that was taken out after work was already paid for. And I think and we have this come up all the time and what what Commissioner Mossbrecker just described as a hypothetical is actually the real facts that we get in many capital improvement cases where a landlord pays for a new roof, two years later they refinance their home, and then they say, oh no, well, we want the interest that we got because we use the proceeds of that refinance to replenish the funds that we used previously, and now you know, we, we don't want to be in, you know, we want to replenish those funds in our bank account. And so I think that's the purpose of this rule is a landlord has to actually show that the loan proceeds that they took out were paid directly to the contractor or that those loan proceeds were put into a bank account and they can trace them from that bank account to the contractor. But if you take out a loan after you've already paid for the work, how do you prove that that loan paid for the work? You could use those loan proceeds for anything you want because you no longer owe the money. It's already been paid for. So. I think you're right. It's the burden on the owner to, to prove where the funds went. So why don't we afford the owner that opportunity in this instance? The ALJ did, and she considered it and found that the funds that were used for the, the loan was pay, taken out after the work had been paid for. 
I'm, I'm new to this, but isn't the plain language just resolves it? I mean, or is that what they're attacking? Where it says that the, not only do the improvements be traced directly to a fixed rate loan that was funded prior to or contemporaneously with the performance of the petition work. I mean, I guess I'm just trying to understand if that's the plain language, the idea that they were misinformed by this board or, or I mean, how do you get past that language? You may disagree with it or say that it that in practical realities, it doesn't benefit the the landlord or the or the tenant because of what you can do with rates. But the plain language of this, I mean, that's about a plain language problem, isn't it? So, so that language that you just cited, um, Commissioner Haley, is not from our rule. That's language that's been used, kind of stock language that's been used in REM board decisions that interprets that rule. And yeah. that's what the appellant takes issue with, is that uh, they Those feel that that rule is arbitrary, right? But, but their, their objection in this is that they were misinformed or that there's an unwritten rule I mean, this has been the interpretation of the rule, right? That's been out there for some time. This has been the rent board's interpretation of the rule. Uh, you know, I, I was not able to, I'll be honest, I've not, I was not able to find any prior rent board decisions where this specific issue was came before the board and the board had to address it. Uh, couldn't locate any prior decisions, but I was able to find many, many rent board decisions where, where we had disallowed uh, actual interest based on a loan that was acquired after work was paid for. I'm just more concerned that there, while there may be a, a, a bigger discussion about the propriety of the rule and the merits of the rule or the merits of our interpretation for this particular plaintiff, whether or not they were any change that we might consider would be applied to them, whether they had notice of the interpretation. And I'm trying to understand within the landscape if they had some notice of our interpretation. And we're correctly told what the interpretation is. The actual rule itself is 7.14 and it states the landlord has the burden to prove to establish the actual rate of interest. To meet this burden, the landlord must submit, at a minimum, either the applicable loan agreement, promissory note, or other admissible documentary evidence sustaining the rate of interest. In addition, the landlord has the burden to show that the actual rate of interest for which an allowance is sought is reasonable under the circumstances. So we are talking about not a theoretical interest rate or the in, um, an interest rate on a loan that is speculatively taken out after the fact, but it's the actual interest on the loan that paid for the work. And that, I don't think these actual rule and reg creates an ambiguity. Do you think the term reasonable also allows level of discretion, which our precedent has established what that reasonableness is? As what we as what we defined it to be, reasonableness is that the loan is taken out prior to prior to the work and paying for the work being considered. Well, I would submit that right after the work is should also. I, I agree with you that two years after the fact that's that's not acceptable, but within months of the work completion and 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 they get penalized. I I, I have a problem with that. Discussion. 
we, we, we've debated some of these interpretations for a long time. I know I've raised the um, how we apply the principal place of residence issue, and this is just another one of them that we've interpreted this way for a long time. So, I mean, I think that resolves it. Yeah, if there's something that if we wanted to propose an alternative way on how to do this and codify this in the rules regulation that makes us a bit more explicit that we all can agree on, let's do that. That might be the way to resolve this, and that might save us and staff a lot of time in the future. Um, but I think we have to go by precedent because that's how we've established it. And to do an alter, to do counter, just wouldn't be uh, to be appropriate. But I'd like to ask staff if you don't mind to start keeping a list of these things that we do because we always do them. Um, and then maybe we can take them up every so often as Commissioner Sani uh, suggests and start codifying them. Because I don't think that because we've done it this way for 10 years means we're doing it the right way. It just means one time we did it this way and then we kept doing it. Um, and you know, if we're gonna be a board that makes ourselves and makes the community sort of makes things transparent, this is not transparent. Obviously, right? Everybody, uh, well, a lot of people think this isn't transparent. So I think that we should keep a list and then we should work on that list and try to make things transparent and codified. That's our job. Any further comment? The executive director to the vote, please. A motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Mossbrucker? Aye. Commissioner Sawney? Aye. President Gruber? No. Commissioner Wasserman? No. And Commissioner Hung? Aye. The um, hearing officer's decision stands. With that, we uh, complete our appeals. And Executive Director, we move on to item five would be uh, remarks from the public. Thank you, President Gruber. Give me just one moment. If uh, staff and commissioners could please mute their mics unless they're speaking. Thank you so much. Uh, it is now time for the second of two public comment call-in periods. Both public comment periods tonight are for general public comment and uh, for all items listed on the agenda. The meeting, meeting instructions have changed slightly and members of the public who wish to provide public comment must now enter a webinar numeric password after entering the access code. The public comment call-in instructions are posted with the agenda located on the Rent Board's website at sf.gov slash rentboard in the meetings section. While you may view the meeting using the link located on the website and listed on the agenda and remote meeting access information, public comment may only be given by dialing in on the phone. The phone number to call into the meeting to give public comment is 415-655-0001.
You will then enter access code 2493-197-3738, press pound, and then enter the webinar numeric password 7368 and press pound again. You will hear the meeting as you wait on the line. You will then dial star and three to enter the public comment queue. You will then hear you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When the system says you are being asked to unmute yourself, to unmute, press star six, dial star and then six. Please make sure that you are in a quiet location and that all computers, phones, TVs, and other devices around you are muted so there is no echo sound while you speak. You are encouraged but not required to state your name for the record. If you are calling to speak regarding an item on the agenda, please state which item you are speaking about. Please note that anything you say during public comment cannot be used as evidence in regards to the item on which you are speaking. You will have three minutes to speak, and if you have an interpreter on the line with you, you will have six minutes. To withdraw your question, dial star and three again, and you will hear you have lowered your hand. When your three minutes are up, staff will so indicate and your line will be muted. You will be moved out of the speaker line and back as an attendee in the meeting unless you disconnect. Uh, Rent board staff member Diana Flores will be operating the phone system today. I will be keeping time. When your time is up, you should hear a timer ringing. Time will be called and you as the caller will be muted. Uh, Ms. Flores, do we have any callers raising their hands in the queue wishing to provide comment at this time? Yes, we have one caller in the queue. Thank you so much. Can you please allow the caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. Hi, this is Sam Wigan. I am the owner representative for 839 Broderick Street in regards to the last item that you discussed. I just wanted to point out several things that were discussed during the open discussion by the commissioners uh, that were inaccurate or misleading. For uh, point of fact, the construction started, in, uh, excuse me, we acquired the building in June of 2020. We started the architectural and structural engineering drawings before we closed escrow in May of 2020. In October of 2020, the seismic was mostly completed. In November of 2020, the seismic loan was obtained. In June of 2021, after completion of the ADU, the certificate of final completion was obtained. So the loan was obtained before construction was done. There was no delay. There was no speculation on interest rate. There was an actual interest rate for the loan. We called the rent board help desk nearly a half a dozen times. No one could share an interpretation or precedent that Commissioner or um, Madam Haley uh, inquired about. Just because there is precedent that is either bad precedent or irrelevant precedent, e.g. two years later, somebody getting a random refinancing loan that has nothing to do with a roof, does not mean that this is applicable to our project. We acted in good faith. And by, by undermining our efforts of good faith, you're encouraging worse behavior from landlords, which will harm tenants in the future. This is an absolute miscarriage of justice. When we did everything by the book, we followed the rules, we asked the rent board for help, and we are still being rejected for using an actual interest rate on a real loan that was obtained right at the time the work was completed. It's a preposterous decision. I don't know if you can reopen the discussion, 
but I would ask that you consider the facts on the ground. Furthermore, the loan docs we submitted into evidence verify that every single item that was paid for was tied specifically to the seismic work. It has nothing to do with a roof, a window, a paint job, or anything else. This is not petty cash. This is not freely available funds. This was seismic construction work for the benefit of the safety of our tenants and our building. We are good landlords who try to do the right thing. We are not the unsavory landlords that the tenant advocates want to fight against. I thank you for your time. I really can ask you for your further consideration on this matter. Thank you, caller. Thank you, Ms. Flores, for muting the caller. Do we have additional members of the public in the queue wishing to provide comment at this time? No, not at this time. Thank you, Ms. Flores. Uh, so members of the public at this time, this is the uh, last opportunity this evening to address the commissioners. This is the second of two public comment call-in periods this evening. This is the opportunity to call about uh, any general matter or any item that is on the agenda this evening. So we will go ahead and leave this uh, public comment period open for a couple more moments, um, but please know that this is your last opportunity. So if you do wish to speak, please dial the number that is currently on the screen, 415-655-0001, enter code 2493 1973738 and then enter the webinar numeric password 7368 according to the instructions. And then you will dial a star and 3 to be added to the speaker line and then dial star and 6 um, when you're being asked to unmute yourself. So again, we are in the second of two public comment call-in periods this evening. Uh, this is a public comment period for all matters, general matters and matters on the agenda, and for the consideration of appeals, uh, which was uh, just heard. So please do dial in if you wish to provide comment. Uh, we are going to close this public comment opportunity in just a moment. Ms. Flores, are there any additional members of the public in the queue wishing to provide comment? No, not at this time. Thank you so much. We'll give it just another moment and then we will go ahead and close uh, this uh, last public comment opportunity this evening. And thank you, commissioners and staff for your patience. Ms. Flores, are there any additional members of the public in the queue wishing to provide comment? No. Thank you so much. We'll go ahead and close um, this last public comment period this evening. Just one moment.
Thank you, Ms. Cotus. President Gruber, I'm sorry, you've been muted. You probably didn't want to hear what I was saying, but uh, uh, I just uh, thank you very much for your verbal introductions. And uh, now uh, the next uh, meeting we have, you'll be live in front of uh, the uh, real audience. And uh, I'd like at this point to move item number 10, new business uh, uh, forward. And uh, we'll be discussing proposed amendments to rules and regulations section 1010 regarding tenant right to organize legislation. And uh, we did receive, uh, I think, besides uh, 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 the uh, actual uh, proposal, a, uh, a letter or a memo from uh, 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 Supervisor Connie Chan. Yeah, that was included uh, yeah, uh, late this afternoon in, in, in our um, portal. So with that, I turn this over to Commissioner Ashley. Yes, I'm so sorry, uh, President Gruber. I did not receive anything this afternoon. Um, so I'm a little, maybe Commissioner Wasserman could help me out. Uh, yes, a response to uh, the, right. the, uh, the submittal uh, from, from the uh, supervisor. From the supervisor. I, I, can't, I can't set it to you right now because I'm not in a place. I, I have a hard copy, but not, not to the commissioners. If you can just no. give me a moment, uh, Commissioner Klein. Okay, I'm sorry about that. I, give me just a moment. I think I have it as a download. I can maybe email it to Ashley if you'd like, Christina. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and take care of that, Commissioner. Okay. Thanks so Thank much. You. I have a, a question while, while just looking at that to um, the tenant commissioners. Um, how do you want to do this? Did you want time to submit your own proposal or counter proposal? I know that's what we've done in the past. Um, yes, I did a draft, yes, last night based on comments that I've, I've received from various tenants groups and I did not feel that it was worth putting in front of you all tonight because it really needs to be gone over a lot more thoroughly. Um, so, yeah, I would like some additional time to submit a draft and before we set up, you know, decide what language we want to move out for public hearing. I mean, I also have a lot of comments about the language that's proposed and I don't know if you guys want to hear them tonight or if you'd rather you look at, we have both things in front of us and then we hash it out then, whatever. I'm happy to do whichever way you guys want to do. I mean, Parker, I'm tempted to, I would be interested to see your your comments. I, I don't maybe know even how far apart we are. If you have red lines or you have changes 
you know, I'm there. I'm there are very, some very there, specific things. And I think there, if we can find a way to get there together. That's fine. Um, I think that they're pretty far apart and uh, it's such a, um, I, I'm not sure I would even want to include everything that I have already included in the draft. I'd, I'd like another week before I even thought about sending it out. I, I would be ashamed um, to have people reviewing this at this point. Like in the past, that's what we typically do, right? We have our two versions. Sometimes I think we've got three or four versions in front of us and we'll go through and try to reconcile something and, into one final. And that may be, have be the case here after, because I was, like I said, taking other people's comments and trying to combine them. I'm not sure I even agree with all of their comments. Can I ask, uh, will you be incorporating uh, the D1 supervisor's comments in, in your draft? Is that something that? I haven't, I didn't do that, but I will take a look at it. I felt that some of her comments um, were pertinent. Um, because I, as I understood it, she was someone who was involved in the process of the amendment. So, okay. I actually have, I wasn't following this legislation that closely. So I, I, I'm not that familiar with the legislative history. I wasn't following it at all. In fact, I, I didn't know where it was. It's not in the red ordinance. I'm sitting at my office when this came up. Like, where is this thing? Reading over the table of contents and. Finally, somebody pointed out to me, no, dummy, it's, it's in a different administrative code section. So I, I, I share that with you. I didn't, I didn't know either. So why don't, um, Ashley, if that's all right with you, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and exchange drafts and then I guess calendar this for the next meeting to, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'd be know. really interested to see what commissioner. Ralph and hopefully I can ho get the draft idea to hone down a little bit so that it's not doesn't have so many interesting ideas. Well, the thing is, uh, I thought that if, if uh, um, it was appropriate, uh, would it be po uh, possible, uh, um, uh, Commissioner uh, Klein, to, to give us an introduction? Do you have a comment you would like to make at this time uh, in general? Uh, and then and then I would look forward to uh, uh, calendaring, you know, a real discussion for the next meeting uh, when everybody's had a chance to uh, talk with their respective uh, uh, contingencies and, and, and partners and whatever else. And then we could have, a, a you know, a, a discussion maybe with submittals and whatever so that we can start honing in on, a, on, uh, on, on, on how, to, how to respond. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. I'm happy to do that. So, you know, I, I think this sort of comes after this freedom of association for tenant organizations um, uh, ordinance has passed. And I think what I am hearing from um, some of my clients and some of the landlord community is that we need um, some regulations to help um, landlords sort of know what their actual obligations are. There's some real gray areas in the ordinance. Um, the certification process of tenants getting certified into these associations um, is a little uh, murky and it has sort of become difficult for landlords to know who the main contact is for the tenant association um, and to whom they should be addressing things. 
Um, there have been some some instances of maybe uh, tenants not being in being as part of the tenant association, but having their names on uh, these petitions, saying that they're um, they're members of the association, um, and so you know, there's also been um, organization that I think um, needs a little a little structure um, outside of uh, sort of normal waking hours. Um, the sort of association materials being um, put up. Uh, in the building in ways that are uh, harming the actual building itself, um, taking down paint, et cetera. So I think the goal of this is is simply to just give some structure to uh, the ordinance that's already in place um, and sort of give everyone a reasonable expectation of of what um, of what these associations are doing and, and what's expected of the landlords. Um, and I think that will really help both sides and sort of in the spirit of the ordinance allow them to uh, work together to solve problems. And so that's the goal. Thank you. Any comments? Because uh, the, the uh, in my mind, and, and, and obviously having uh, gone over this a little bit and, and looking forward to comments from the rest of the commissioners, um, the right to organize, I don't have a problem with. And, and, uh, and uh, recognizing tenant associations, uh, uh, you know, people have a right to, to meet and, and come up with proposals and whatever. And uh, I think there just needs to be order from, from that um, so that that those things are are not abused and 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 there there is a guideline um, that then I guess uh, if there are concerns uh, they can bring uh, that can then be submitted to the rent board for for final uh, 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 disposition or the planning commission or the uh, uh, department of building inspection or whatever and uh, and then uh, hopefully. There is an order to that so that uh, uh, we all can, can work with it. Uh, it's my understanding from talking to the staff that there have been some petitions filed, but there haven't been any mediations actually held yet. And so we really don't have any experience from practice, you know, from even having the ALJs hold mediations to know exactly what issues are being raised or how contentious this issue is between the two groups. Oh, I think, I mean, I think we know that uh, landlords are confused. Um, and I think we know that uh, there's pressure um, for landlords to, you know, be at meetings for very long periods of time um, with sort of no no end in sight. I think I think we know that um, there is damage being done to buildings by certain types of materials. Um, so, I mean, I think whether or not we've had the decrease in housing services petition yet, I mean, maybe that's a good thing, right? Because it means in some ways uh, the, the, the ordinance is working um, to help landlords and tenants negotiate. Um, but it doesn't mean that we are uh, fully clear on what people are supposed to be doing. And so I don't think actually the lack of petitions says much other than, you know, maybe in some ways landlords and tenants are negotiating, but I think this clarity is still really needed here. 
Question to Commissioner Mossbacher. Are we, do you understand that there are petitions from um, an organization as opposed to an individual or, um, uh, or an association of some sort? Well, from talking to um, ALJ, senior ALJ Coombs, it's, there have been five tenant associations that have filed decrease in services petitions so far. And one of them was scheduled for mediation, but it was continued. And another, I believe, is scheduled for later this month for mediation. Yeah, and so I'll follow and, five of them. And the reason I asked him is because I wanted to know if this was something that the staff was having to confront or, you know, where, where it was at in terms of a problem. Can you uh, help us uh, uh, with that? Uh, those those five uh, proposed, uh, 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 I guess, um, uh, presentations. Uh, is it coming from an organ? Then is there is is it does it represent uh, uh, more than one building? Is it is it how do, how does that work? I believe it's five separate buildings and five separate tenant associations from. The five separate buildings. What are the guidelines for the for the staff to to, to handle that? Do you have guidelines? The ordinance itself, right? which fails to define a lot of very important, I assume, terms, including what meet and confer and good faith. Can staff discuss that? Commissioner Gruber, are you asking staff? Well, I, I, I don't know which, I, you know, I don't know who's handling that. I, I, I just addressed staff. Can you help me with that? Sure. So I, we've had at least five separate multi-unit petitions filed, five separate buildings. Each one of these petitions was filed by more than one tenant. So ten, tenants can join together and file a petition involving a common claim or issue. So we've had petitions filed by tenants at five different buildings claiming that the landlord has failed to comply with this legislation, that they've failed to comply with their responsibilities in some way. None of these cases have gone to mediation or arbitration yet. So I honestly don't know what the claim is. I don't know what, what you know, specific provision of the law they claim the landlord has not complied with. Um, one of these petitions though is scheduled for mediation next week. And I think the others have not yet been scheduled. Um, and, you know, I was kind of waiting to see what happens tonight and next month. Um, hopefully, you know, we can resolve some of these petitions via mediation. But if not, you know, and you intend to enact regulations that will help us implement this legislation, I was going to kind of ask the commission whether you'd like us to kind of defer um, making decisions on these cases until after you've given us this guidance or whether you'd rather we went forward and, um, you know, in which case I assume these decisions will most likely be appealed by one side or the other and you'll, you'll see them in that context. I, I would uh, jump in and say I would hope to maybe ask for a delay so that we can get the components of, of what you're being faced with so that uh, it can be part of our discussions. Does 
I guess I'm interested in whether or not staff has any recommendations for rules and regulations that they would like to see. I think staff could certainly, you know, we could look at, we could help, we could assist with drafting some regulations. Um, you know, I'm not prepared to offer any kind of suggestions on the spot tonight, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think staff could be involved in, in uh, drafting regulations. No, I'm not asking about tonight. I, I just, as we go along, um, you may be privy to uh, the subjects that, that come up that would be good for us to, to know about and uh, um, for both sides. But also uh, supporting the desire just to know what's being in front of the staff right now for consideration to influence what we do bring back to our um, stakeholder groups as well. Okay, uh, with that, the, are there any more, is there further input? Because at this point, uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, executive director, we should put this on the calendar for the next meeting. Yes, President Gruber, we could put it as an old business item. Is that agreeable with the, the commission? Anybody object? That's agreeable. And, uh, and then uh, would uh, we would be, look, go ahead. Would it be old business or would it be new business again that Commissioner Mossbrucker is now gonna have a new draft for us to start comparing? It, it would be an old business item. It would still be old business. Klein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, this is, this is more of a procedural thing. Um, I know that we mentioned an email for Supervisor uh, Chad. How is that provided? What me method was it provided to our our SFGov email account? Our personal. Just want to make sure I'm tracking it down because I don't see it in my inbox. It was in our um, in, in in our in our portal. It, it, under how we got our, our. It's just one of the items. If you look on the left side, uh, uh, that, that we receive our packet. Okay. And I, and I'm also learning myself that that that, that it's not easy um, when when uh, I'm getting used to it. I'm kind of a dinosaur with a computer, um, but uh, uh, as things come in later, um, and I had to talk with the executive director, um, you can see that that there's in parentheses uh, PS uh, next to it, and that means a post uh, a subscription or a post submittal. And that that'll that, that uh, or uh, or in this particular case for 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 the supervisors there was actually a a, a separate line item there that, that that had been submitted in our packet. Is there a way to be notified that we get something from our SFGov email? That's how much of a dinosaur I am. Executive director, wasn't there an email that, that said that it was coming? Yes, so um, uh, staff uh, who were preparing the documents uh, emailed you to give you a heads up that it was um, located in OneDrive, so that OneDrive was newly updated so that you could log in and get the documents. And so just to Commissioner Sani had asked, so the the memo uh, itself was placed in in OneDrive today. So uh, I, I think uh, as we move forward, I, I would uh, suggest that 
for those submittals coming from commissioners regarding this, uh, if they could uh, maybe have that done in the next couple of weeks so that we have time to digest also um, the different uh, um, viewpoints and, and subjects that we're going to be dealing with would be much appreciated. The supplemental Any further comments or questions or go ahead, please. Sorry, President Gruber, the supplemental packet will go out on March 8th. Um, so it's about five days or so and change before the March 14th meeting. Um, the initial packet will go out to you on March 3rd. So if anyone wants to include anything, it could be helpful with that time frame. Any further comments, suggestions, questions? If not, then then I'm going to close the uh, new business, and uh, we're going to move back to the agenda items. Item number seven: communications, please. Pardon me, President Grouper, while I um, switch hats. Give me just a quick second. Thanks for your patience. I am recognizing the late hour, but we still have a number of things we to get through. So I'll be cognizant of that. Um, so good evening, uh, this is Executive Director Christina Varner. So you should have received articles from staff from the Chronicle, SF Standard, um, a couple other articles, as well as a February 1st press release from the Rent Board. Um, you'll also find the workload statistics for December 2022 and the proposed draft of Rent Board Rules and Regulations, Section 1010. Thank you, President Gruber. Any questions? Then uh, Director's report, please. Thank you so much. Um, good evening again, Commissioners. This is Executive Director Christina Varner again. Um, I, so I want to start um, by giving a huge thanks to the Rent Board's Public Information Unit counselors and staff um, and the Housing Inventory and Rent Board Fee Unit who have again been working very hard with an increased number of public inquiries uh, during the Rent Board Fee Exemption Request period and invoicing um, and with the first housing inventory deadline coming up. Um, I also want to thank those units supervisors, uh, Anita Pando, Jennifer Rakowski, and Catherine Chu for supporting their teams and working their hardest to streamline operations. It's been, um, you know, very interesting time as we've been trying to build a new unit and integrate it into our existing structures here. So we're learning a lot um, and we're doing our best and it's, it's quite a challenge um, with a very, uh, a, a very uh, vocal, uh, uh, population on public. Um, so, you know, the department would encourage the public to just please remain patient during this time. Um, we are staff are working very hard to serve you um, and and we thank you for your patience very much. Uh, but thank you so much to staff uh, who've been working very, very hard. Um, 
departmental operations are standard ongoing with phone counseling open and available daily, nine to noon and one to four, Monday through Friday, excluding holidays. Front counter is open daily. Um, we are seeing lots of public um, and staff continue to work on a hybrid basis. Um, just a reminder, big reminder, not just a reminder, big reminder that uh, to property owners that both the housing inventory reporting deadline for owners of all properties and the date to make timely payment of the rent board fee uh, is March 1st, 2023. So that is before our next uh, commission meeting. Um, in regards to the housing inventory, owners will need to report information on their units to obtain a license to increase their tenant's rent. Uh, and owners can go to the rent board's website at sf.gov slash rent board or directly to the rent board portal at portal.sfrb.org to report into the housing inventory. Um, if any owner is having issues with reporting into the housing inventory, they should contact 311. And um, we appreciate if you do go to 311. Um, and uh, I understand it may take a little bit of time to get your issue resolved, but staff are working very hard to timely resolve issues that you may have. Um, and importantly, as I just stated, uh, timely rent board fee payments are due March 1st. We are in our second uh, cycle where the rent board is now uh, collecting its own fee. Um, just a reminder that if owners pay late, they will incur a 5% penalty. So that does start on March 2nd, um, and then a 10% penalty in April and a 15% penalty in May. Uh, owners can pay via the rent board portal online at portal.sfrb.org and it's super easy to do. You can do it sitting on your couch in your pajamas or by mailing a check into the rent board's PO box uh, or actually walking a check or cash payment into the treasurer and tax collector's office at City Hall during business hours. Um, if owners do have questions, they can also contact 311. Um, I have mentioned the uh, delinquencies uh, there has been a, a, a delay with the start of delinquent 21-22 rent board fee obligations notification. So those notifications are now slated to go out in mid-March um, amidst some, some timing issues. Um, I have, uh, yeah, that's all I have regarding the inventory and fee. It's really like March 1st is coming. You know, it appears a lot of um, owners have not yet reported. So uh, please, uh, owners uh, remind your friends. Have gotten some good feedback though that um, uh, some owners have found out uh, through our public outreach that they have they have needed to report into the inventory. Um, I have no legislative report tonight um, in regards to uh, nothing special to report this evening. Um, just wanted to address, it sounded like it was coming up a little bit earlier, uh, digital distribution of meeting material. Thank you so much for your patience. Um, so starting in January, as you know, we began distributing meeting materials electronically via OneDrive using your SFGov uh, email accounts. Um, and we have simultaneously continued sending paper meeting packets to you. Um, given that we are verging into in-person meetings starting next month, uh, which I will discuss in a moment, um, we are going to continue this practice for the time being. Things are a little, uh, we just need some time to get used to things and, and where everything is located. Um, 
and given that we only do this once a month, it, it will take some time to fall into practice. Um, I do ask if you can please provide any concrete constructive feedback regarding this um, to me, feel free to send me an email. Um, even just today, we identified a few ways that we can make this better for March. Um, so we will keep working to make this better as far as the communication. I know there were like a number of updates in OneDrive even just today, and it got a little bit confusing and I apologize for that. Um, and we recognize, you know, what was happening. So I think it's taking staff time to get used to it as well. So, um, we're going to go ahead and, and sync up to make it a little bit more succinct and have a bit fewer, um, notifications across the board. But please do uh, let me know, give me a call, um, send me an email and about the the uh, the meeting packets. Um, just a brief note in regard to the department's ongoing racial equity work, two commissioners have been scheduled to attend a Department of Human Resources Managing Implicit Bias workshop uh, on March 15th. Um, and we will continue scheduling until all commissioners have attended. Um, and then you may, you know, once everyone has attended, may decide uh, what to do in regards to discussion or, or further work you would like to take on that in uh, further meetings. Um, big reminder, I'm sure you've received the emails from the Ethics Commission. Uh, Form 700 filing season is now upon us. Uh, commissioners, you all have until April 1st to file your Form 700s and complete the required Ethics and Sunshine training. Uh, and a reminder, as you probably haven't heard it for a year, a fine may be assessed for each day of non-reporting. Um, but more importantly, uh, you would not be able to vote at the subsequent board meeting if you don't report um, uh, and file your Form 700. So we thank the one commissioner who has already completed their filing. And uh, thank you, commissioners, for taking care of that on time. And uh, is, staff don't want to have to uh, <laughs> run around looking for for quorum. Yes, President Gruber. Is is ethics and sunshine the only additional with this? Yes, your form seven hundred, and then the ethics and sunshine yes. training module, which is is located in that file. And they're not live trainings this year. They're going to be the same things we've been correct. Watching it's, last. Yeah, that's correct. There's just. Uh, so many, so many people that need to to complete their form 700 citywide with the 60 or whatever policy bodies that there are and the numerous staff that are required to file as well. It's quite a bit of people in the city. Thanks, Commissioner Mossbrooker. Um, and that's the director's report. Uh, I would invite any questions. Um, we do have a couple more items that I'm going to speak on in just a moment. Just really quickly, when you when you actually go at the starting point to go to your uh, uh, portal file, uh, do you actually have to go through two security gates uh, where you have to put in your uh, um, uh, codes and then you, you have to receive a, 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 another uh, a go ahead code to, to, to move forward? So you go through it twice actually, is that right? Okay, thank you. I was just curious what kind of outreach has been done for the small property owners to know that they need to register. Uh, that's a great question, Commissioner Mossbrooker. So we have been in touch with um, uh, Small Property Owners Institute and they have been uh, doing outreach with 
their members. Um, we also participated in outreach at an event in Chinatown uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple weekends ago. Um, and we also have staff who have been going um, uh, during the days to various um, businesses and bringing materials um, and businesses that many small owners have been frequenting. They've been sort of targeting um, uh, hardware stores and libraries and other types of businesses and handing out, actually handing out materials um, to the businesses and to people there. Um, so there's been a number of different things going on. And, you know, if you have additional suggestions, it definitely it's, it's welcomed. Does that finish the director's report? Yes, President Governor. Uh, with that, then uh, we move on to item nine, old business, please. Thank you. So uh, the first old business item is future rent board commission meetings. Um, so this is the talk of the town right now. <laughs> um, I attended a very large meeting on Friday with uh, quite a number of people and representatives from um, the city attorney, the mayor's office, uh, the city administrator, and numerous uh, boards and commissions who are all uh, grappling with the complete uh, return to in-person meetings. So you have all received, and we discussed last month, the, the city attorney memo regarding state rules and the Brown Act and the return of uh, city and county C county policy body meetings to in-person meetings beginning March 1st. Um, you know, after nearly three years, today is the last fully remote board meeting that will be held by this board. Um, at the last commission meeting, we discussed uh, the issues to uh, in-person meetings brings, various issues that it brings. Um, these included guidance by the city attorney regarding commissioner and public attendance at meetings, as well as uh, the desire expressed by this board to continue with remote public comment. Um, I was able, like I, I just said, I attended a meeting last week and was able to obtain some more guidance. There had been some previous guidance uh, as well. Uh, furnished to many of us. So some of this information may be a bit repetitive, so please pardon uh, any repetition. So the first thing is that starting March 1st, commissioners must attend board meetings in person again. Um, there is not a generalized exception for um, uh, not wanting to attend for um, health reasons or anything uh, of that nature. Um, the main actual exception to commissioners not attending in person is if a commissioner requests a reasonable accommodation from the Department of Human Resources and that uh, uh, reasonable accommodation request is granted prior to the commission meeting. We have been provided information about the structures uh, and direct contact the Department of Human Resources has put into place. So if you would like to request a reasonable accommodation, um, from attendance in person, uh, whether at any point um, going forward, please contact me and I will provide you, I'll put you in contact with the DHR uh, representative who is handling that. They have a team who is handling that for commissioners citywide. 
um, and recognize that some of the requests may be made very shortly before meetings occur and they understand the urgency that may be involved with that. Um, so they intend to uh, look at those requests quickly and um, get through them quickly. Um, Are you looking for just a, a what do you call a, um, um, an ex a, a confirmation that you don't have to go to the meeting? Right, so they would have to grant or deny a, an actual written reasonable accommodation request from any commissioner. It is, it is not up to uh, staff, it is not up to other members of that commissioner's policy body, it is up to the city's Department of Human Resources. And, you know, I'll talk about in just a second, it's sort of multi-layered because that means this department has to have the technology available to convene a hybrid public meeting. Um, so it kind of goes into that issue. Technology issues, like most policy bodies in the city, have not yet been finalized for our March meeting. Um, so if you do request a reasonable accommodation to not intend in person, you know, please understand that at this moment, um, the tech capabilities are evolving. Um, we are trying our best to make sure everything is, is in order because it was, it was heard. We totally understood that this, this commission wants remote uh, public attendance to occur. Um, and then it would also allow for commissioners to attend remotely. There are a lot of small details that I'm not sure if I want to get into right now, um, but I will say that uh, the onus, you know, secondly, the onus is completely back on the department um, to respond to reasonable modification requests from members of the public who want to attend meetings. And so we are required to provide a modification to any member of the public who requests it within 15 minutes of a meeting's start time. Um, so if any member of the public requests, for example, to appear remotely uh, as a part of their modification, then we would need to provide the ability to appear remotely like that at the drop of a hat. So you know, we assume that many members of the public would request um, for a, mo a modification that would require remote meeting participation. And moreover, the city is strongly encouraging city policy bodies to provide remote meeting participation at, at in-person meetings. Um, so, and again, after hearing uh, your wishes to hold in-person meetings with the capability of remote participation, again, we are now working on the technology, the physical space, um, and the noticing requirements to make this possible for the March 14th meeting. Um, we have reserved room 610 here at in 25 Van S for the March 14th meeting and for meetings the rest of the calendar year. I know I had talked about potentially meeting, you know, in City Hall. Um, uh, however, it seems that we may have the techno technology available to us here and that it might be how it goes for their first meeting um, and we'll we are working actively to make it better, seamless, et cetera. Um, there simply is not enough space at City Hall. Um, and so, you know, 
members of policy bodies, the city administrator, everybody is sort of understanding that this is a big lift um, to have these capabilities possible when lots of people, particularly advisory bodies, lots of policy bodies, smaller policy bodies met in all sorts of spaces pre-pandemic that didn't necessarily have like really good technology available. And now we're all required to do that. So um, 610 uh, is wired. So we will be able to hold a remote meeting. Uh, it just, the only thing right now is it does not have Wi-Fi. Um, so we are looking into hotspots or other options right now. City Hall, uh, I believe has Wi-Fi, but doesn't have room for us. So um it's a little bit uh uh complicated um we are currently you know there's a couple things to think about we currently do not have devices of any kind available to commissioners to review meeting materials electronically at this time um, we are looking to secure those uh, at this time commissioners may bring their own devices and provide you know their own hotspots if they wish to access meeting materials on devices remotely, but we will have, again, paper packets available. Those will be sent to you ahead of time. Um, and uh, we will have, we are hoping to have the remote participation option fully up and running by the March 14th meeting. So there are, um, you know, a lot of challenges across the city, um, but we're, we are doing our, our best. We're working our hardest in this department to try to make this a, a modern function, as it were. Um, so Will a, a, a computer be necessary to bring, uh, the, do we have to bring one? No, President Cooper. Okay. Um, so, oh, sorry. Executive sorry. Director Werner, um, it, has there been any discussion, and I know I wasn't here the last few meetings, um, but have there been any discussion about the meeting time? I mean, I just, I, I haven't been here because I had a baby. Um, and I have young kids at home. Um, and this is pretty much the worst time of day for me to, well, I guess I can imagine worse times, but not many, um, for me to have a meeting um, and for me to leave my partner with three kids under five. Um, have we had any discussion about doing this during business hours? We have actually, uh, Commissioner Klein, and it was um, the overwhelming majority of this board had expressed interest in maintaining evening meetings because people's schedules were so busy during the day. Um, and, uh, you know, so I don't know, it's, you know, up to the board, but um, we would have to look into getting. Right, I'm not trying to do this to you. Yeah. I'm not trying to do this to you for next month, but I don't know if the board would be willing to help me out with this um, or if people are, really committed to the evening meeting. For me, it's a it's an incredible burden, um, but I'll do it. Um, I've done it before, uh, but I don't know what people's schedules are and if there's any way we could even do it, you know, at three o'clock or four o'clock um, versus the 6 p.m. start. It's just, it's, it's very challenging. I'm open to that. I will make myself freely available at basically any time. I mean, I would prefer 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., honestly. I'm open for discussion. 
and I'm, I'm generally unavailable at 6 a.m. for a meeting commissioner. Okay, fair. I was going to say I I simply will not attend a meeting at 6 a.m. But what about um, what about four? four? You know, my only concern is that with the public um, access, I, I'm wondering if that would limit a lot of um, the public comment from both landlords and tenants. Because they would have to miss work to attend. I, I, I do wonder if this meeting, uh, meeting capabilities, uh, sending out information for computers, how we want to get things deliverable, if it is that we just have this outside of, I, this can be a really long drawn out conversation. I wonder if we just come back with a proposal as a group, we outline really what our points are, and then we speed it where our stakeholders are coming. Because I just, I, there's a lot of things that we're considering. It might just make more sense for us to come together with a plan first and then discuss it as a group. Cause yeah, we can do that. Cause it just seems like there's some, this is a really complicated topic as executive, executive director Varner has, has <laughs> knows very well. And it just might make sense that we just have one plan first and then talk on the nuances of it. Sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. I was going to make a joke, Commissioner Mossberg. Have you ever been to a board of supervisors meeting it in the early afternoon? It's packed. <laughs> Um, that's true. And yeah, I have. No, I'm um, just kidding. It's too late. To make. Well, I would be very, I'd be completely happy to spearhead the effort and do whatever needed to be done. Again, not trying to uh, throw a wrench in next month, but to the extent we could shift them, that would be really helpful to me. So I just um, wanted to call out just, just while you're thinking about this and perhaps we're keeping this uh, old business item on for discussion at the March, March 14th meeting. Um, yes, please. It is very. The phones have died. They've been here for a while. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Great. So. Um, Are you talking to us? I'm talking to you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> My headphones have officially died. So. Um, it is very challenging to reserve a room in this building uh, during the day. It's in high demand for meetings and conferences and things like that, because that particular room belongs to the Department of Public Health. Um, and there is another room that is currently unavailable, completely unavailable, um, where we used to meet, which is in the basement in Suite 70. Um, and that suffered some flooding during the storms, the whole, the downstairs did. So um, I'm not sure yet when that room is gonna actually be available at all. Um, that said, uh, City Hall, again, is very, um, it, it's a challenge and Tuesdays are a huge challenge at City Hall, given that full board meets on Tuesdays and there are only three proper meeting rooms there. Uh, they may make other rooms available, but it's very interesting. We're one of the smallest departments with one of the largest commissions. So fitting everybody into one room, it's, I've done a lot of, uh, you know, just fitting the puzzle pieces in. So just putting that out there, that that's something we have to consider. We might want to change and, and, and that's fine. Um, it, it may mean meeting on days of the week or times of the week that are not ideal for, you know, all sorts of reasons, but just letting you know. I think Friday nights may be available at City Hall in the meeting rooms. So. 
Friday nights would actually be worse than Tuesday nights. So. <laughs> okay. So we'll 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 leave this on as uh, old business um, for discussion at the March fourteenth meeting, which will be the first in person meeting in almost three years. Um, and I do recall that March seventeenth, twenty twenty, was our first canceled meeting. Um, uh, let's see. So uh, yes. Um, Please kindly on March 14th, if you can target your arrival at 530, I just, if you can, please, because we have not been there in quite some time, just want to make sure that everything's running smoothly. Um, it would, it would be appreciated. Um, and given that we have um, some other business on the agenda that might bring out a lot of members of the public, you know, you just want to be prepared that there may be people there. Um, but it is quite a large room, so we will try to make as much space as possible for people. Um, just also to note, um, there is no mandatory mask requirement, so we cannot require any persons to mask, but anyone who wants to is welcome to do so. And Finally, you know, since there is uh, no, no city policy body will be allowed to hold fully remote meetings after March 1st, there is no uh, longer a need for this commission to make findings under uh, CGC 54953 little e that remote meetings continue to be necessary. So, did anyone have any questions about that? So then we move on to the budget. Great. Um, thank you so much. Pardon me while I shift gears here a little bit. So, um, hopefully re you received, uh, the budget memo, um. Uh, that I prepared and uh, was sent to you on Friday. I thank you very much for your patience. Um, there are quite a lot of moving parts and I wanted to get something as uh, as sure as possible for you. So I just wanted to know quickly, there is a, a small typo um, in the first paragraph of the memo that I uh, was just brought to my attention today in the third sentence. It says the proposed budget for fiscal year 22-23, that should say 23-24, um, which you probably surmised, but I just wanted to explicitly state that. So we talked about the budget at the last meeting. Um, you have the memo and I wanted to bring with you the current uh, org chart. Um, that's how it looks right now. And that's how we intend it to look um, next fiscal. Uh, we are not intending to add any new positions. In fact, we had been budgeted quite a number of positions um, with the changes of the inventory and fee. And so we are still working to fill all those positions. And, you know, as we had discussed, there's quite a bit that goes into recruitment and hiring in the city, particularly with permanent civil service positions. And so it has taken quite uh, some time to uh, higher into those positions. So, um, you know, there are three uh, big items this year. Um, 
one is the same big item that we have year over year, which is the bulk of our, uh, our expenditures in this department are for salaries and fringe benefits for existing staff. Our spending is on staffing and salaries. Um, that uh, there are a number of wage, wage changes that have gone over the past couple of years, but they will go down slightly from last year when there was a substantial increase um, in uh, salaries and, and associated benefits. Um, then there is the move and the tenant improvements. Um, and then there is a uh, professional services supporting uh, technology and the business workflow modernization. Um, so those are kind of the big things. A lot of the other things on the, um, the line items you have seen year over year. So all of our, if you look in the uh, 58100, uh, line that's um, and uh, starting with 581360, those are all our work orders with other departments. Um, so those things are not uh, uh, changing substantially. Um, what we're looking at that is changing a little bit is there's an increase for repro mail due to increases in uh, paper and postage, um, which is something we normally expect each year, um, but we have a lot more now, given that we have more staff and we have more mailing uh, to complete. We also have an increase for 311, um, given the amount of uh, calls uh, that are being received. So we are basically budgeting about three uh, full-time employees for 311 for next year. Um, so that's why there is the increase there. Um, it may, once the um, inventory goes through a first full year um, and the fee goes through a, a complete second cycle, um, we are thinking that the numbers of contacts to 311 will decrease somewhat. And so that may, you know, potentially allow us for a decrease in 24, 25 um, or further on down the road. So we're just kind of monitoring those numbers with 311 and that's definitely subject to change. We are getting a great deal of support from Treasure Tax Collector assisting us in collecting our fee. Um, they are close partners of ours, um, but the work order of, is not changing with uh, Treasure Tax Collector. So those are kind of the bigger changes. Uh, we're looking to reduce slightly our work order with um, city attorney's office, um, just looking at actual spending year over year and where we can find small amounts of savings. There are a lot of work orders in there that are just sort of, you know, standard build across the city. Our department just takes a piece, a small percentage of the overall pie that's billed, for example, for the Department of Technology infrastructure. Um, it's just billed citywide. We get we get our portion. Um, so those are those are all things that are somewhat uh, you know standard. Um, the biggest thing is the move and tenant improvements. So I had talked with you last time um, about that, and I've I have outlined, you know, in the memo, um, we have budgeted two million for construction costs, um, and have allocated costs for the actual move, um, for furniture, 
and for network wiring. And of course, all the existing wiring in this suite needs to be upgraded. Um, we, like I had said last time, we made a big decision to separate off the work from the sixth and seventh floors um, so that we could reduce costs of the overall project, which was, you know, over 4 million originally. So it, it really just reduced it to finish work in 660. Um, which will be about 250,000 and that work is going to begin very soon. Um, the, uh, the wonderful thing about that work being completed in 24 is that we will not have that in the budget in 25. Um, and the, the real major thing, um, very significantly as a result of the move, uh, the rent paid to the department of real estate will go down, uh, by nearly half um, once we vacate suites 320 and 340. So this is kind of this balloon. It all got pushed into 24. Again, a number of delays that have occurred. Um, and the project is being um, uh, put in front of the Public Works Commission soon and going up to bid soon uh, for the tenant improvements. Um, but we anticipate that we will be moving in within uh, a year from now. Um, in regards to uh, the actual numbers to calculate the fee. So it is quite an interesting universe now. I'm not gonna bog you down with the details. I've put it in the memo, but as we talked about last year, it was very difficult to grasp the kind of new universe of units subject to the fee now that we are the ones collecting the fee ourselves. So we saw all these new units brought under our jurisdiction due to the Haney legislation. We saw all these units newly request exemptions that had never requested exemptions before. Um, and then we were getting all this information about new construction and units that are subject to the just cause eviction requirements of the ordinance. And so um, regularly we're finding out about properties that are not in our data set and we are bringing them in. And so we are able to um, uh, bill the fee. So the actual unit counts are getting, you know, we're getting more information constantly. And, you know, within this cycle and the following cycles, we will have a lot more concrete information. And so it's, it's very good in the sense that it allows us to project and budget a lot more clearly. Um, and I think with the, you know, the advent of us selling, sending our uh, first year fee collection delinquencies to the Bureau of Delinquent Revenue um, and seeing how much we actually are able to recover um, once we do that a first time and then a second time this year, I, I think that's gonna give us a lot more concrete information about, about future pro total projected revenue. So um, the crux though of everything <laughs> in this year because of the MOVE project tenant improvements is it does look like you know the fee will be raised uh, a couple dollars to sixty-one dollars a unit. You know it's possible that it will it will decrease in the following year um, because the move has been completed because we've been able to stop paying double rent basically. Um, it's just 
you know, something we something we're having to confront this coming year. So, um, you know, we won't know until the controller makes the calculations, but um, we anticipate it happening a bit earlier this year as they're on a, an earlier schedule. So we will find out um, uh, by June rather than in July uh, this year. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. How many units are there? <laughs> so, so right now we think there are, uh, as, as stated in the memo, um, uh, 200, well, we, we ended last year with 225,623 dwelling units and, um, 50,000 and change exemptions with about a little over, you know, 15 and a half thousand SRO guest units, but we have, we have gotten some more exemptions this year. So upwards of possibly 54,000 exemptions, which makes sense. Um, and it's all kind of getting sorted out, but there are definitely more units than, you know, what I, I, I was originally talked about, you know, this time, definitely this time, 2 years ago, when we were looking at kind of. Potentially 170,000 or 190,000. Did you have any additional questions, President Gruber? I don't. I was wondering why the um, advertising budget is protected. Projected to go down. Do you think we need to do less outreach as time goes on? I think so. It's yeah. It's a couple of things. That's a good question, uh, Commissioner Mossbrucker. Yeah, I think it was it was um, like a little bit over budgeted. Um, we we have found that there are more cost effective ways of doing advertising. Um, I mean, we, we do have the internet available to us, which is really helpful and reaches a lot of people. Um, and a lot of it is, is um, you, yeah, you don't just don't have to put as much cost into it. So we thought, you know, we need to put that into business process workflow modernization rather than, you know, move things along rather than putting it into the advertising budget. And we have, you know, we have put, there's more into the repro mail budget, which, you know, we do mailings and such mass mailings, et cetera. And so it can come out of that budget as well. Were there any other questions? I have a few questions, but I don't want to take up the rest of this meeting because I also have a Valentine's waiting right now. Um, the, uh, you, uh, apologies. apologies, your line is breaking up. Can you hear me now? Ah, yes. Thank you so much. Uh, what I was saying was that I. If I can submit my, well, I just, what would be better for me is just understand, getting a clear understanding of what is the timing and what is the expectation as it comes to the review and the approval of this budget. So why, so that I know, um, when is the appropriate time for me to submit my questions that I do have. Right, right now, Commissioner Sani, because we would like the, the board to take a vote this evening. 
Okay. Um, then I'm, I can walk it by line by line. I just want to show, <laughs> be mindful of kind of the time that we have. Absolutely. Uh, um, can you speak to uh, the uh, line OTO to the general fund? And what is, what is the intent of that? Uh, what is the intent of that uh, transfer of funds? Yeah, that's and a then, great. Can I take that one first? Yes, you can. Okay, thanks so much. Um, so, yeah, that one is related to the monies that were allocated originally for the move. Um, and they were allocated in a, a general uh, fund bucket after or in the middle of budget uh, two, two fiscals ago. So it's been, it's been moved out of that. So we can, we can move that back into a work order for construction costs. Got it. Can you speak to uh, materials and supplies budget and why there's been a decrease of about 90 K? I'm sorry, which line are you looking at? Materials and supplies. Ah, yes. Uh, the. 5, 4, 0, 0, 0, 0. Yeah. So that's related to um, equipment that the department has purchased this year. We are in the process of procuring um, uh, computers and computer equipment and accessories for staff. Um, and so that line that will not be needed next year. Where is it stated uh, the change of the rent the rent fee going to be for this year, and what is the difference from last year? So, um, we are anticipating, given the numbers and the the need uh, and the revenue need that. So I that has been put into the memo. The controller calculates our fee based on the numbers that we provide to them. So we will we have to submit those numbers to the controller. Um, and then they calculate it and they come back and tell us what the fee is going to be. And, Understood. Yeah. So then for uh, fiscal year 24-25, with the budget being about four, four and a half million, it's assumed that the fee would go down. Yeah, the four, the 14.44, yes, we, we are anticipating that it will go down. And, and would it be safe to assume that the fee would then be lower than fiscal year 22-23? I, I can't say that right now. There's so many unknowns about this whole project that's going on. Okay, so the largest wall card right now is going is going to be um, certainly the completion of the space, the the renovation, and then also all the other new activities that we're doing as well. That's correct. Uh, can you speak to a professional services budget line five two seven zero zero zero? Yes, so that is that is uh, additional move related costs that were left in that cost center. So that is in regards to um, uh, additional construction and potential network costs that were were left there um, as well as technology project costs. Okay, and. I know that in your summary, you're saying that we are seeing some savings um, just because of uh, not bringing on all staff um, at, because of the slow procurement process by uh, by the HR department for the city. Uh, assuming that we do get to full staffing, where do we, where would we see 
I guess I'm trying to figure understand how when where the increase in staffing is going to be reflected in the budget, and then what's going to be decreased proportionally. Is it assumed? Can you just is it assumed that because of the stop in building cost activities, that's where our our budget would balance, and therefore we wouldn't see any major cost increases to balance out the increase in staffing. That's that's correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, can you speak to what staff, what departments are at full capacity right now as it relates to staffing? What departments citywide? Sorry, that's a wrong term. What subsections of the department? So what um, divisions? Oh, of the rent board. Yes, my apologies. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> I, was, I thought, oh, I can't answer that question. All I know is that most city departments are not fully staffed. Um, Let's see. So, uh, so if you're looking at the org chart, I'll start on the left. Um, so the hearings unit has a couple vacancies. Um, currently has three vacancies. The clerical unit uh, below that is fully staffed. Um, the public information unit to the right of that uh, is that there are one, two, three, there are four vacancies there. So the, the three analyst positions are currently vacant and in active, very active recruitment. Um, and the, there is a vacancy in a rent board specialist position right now, which is also in active recruitment. Um, in the housing inventory and fee, the 1824 is in recruitment. Um, and then the 1823 is starting recruitment and then the other 6 positions are filled. And in finance and ops, the 1823 is beginning recruitment. Um, the 0923 manager filled 1095 I'm going up to the information technology. The 1095 is in recruitment. Um, the deputy is in recruitment. Um, that's starting and. Yeah. So there are a dozen actual vacancies, but most of them are in active recruitment. Thank you. Thank you for the overview. Recognizing that uh, we are in certainly in a stage of onboarding, um, are there any activities that have been limited in terms of their effectiveness because of the smaller staff levels? Um, have we, or can you answer that question? Can you, can you say that it 1 more time? I'm sorry. Has there, has there been any activities within the units that have been restricted or limited because of the smaller staff levels? Certainly, uh, you know, we, we wish there were more people to do all the things, but, um, we see, you know, that we're, we're, you know, getting a lot of the. Core duties and the real fundamentals completed. It's very tricky, but we're doing the best we can. Um, there are a lot of things that we would like to do that are, you know, uh, not on fire, let's just say, and um, we're getting by without them. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. That does. I guess Inel it's inelegant, but, you know. <laughs> No, I, I understand you certainly have to operate the efficiencies of, um, you have to operate, you're dependent on other agencies to fill, fill your vacancies. And I have felt firsthand the long process of procurement when it comes to um, staff within the city agency. So um, I empathize. Um, 
where I'm where I'm curious on is certainly as we ramp up any any unit within the rent board that we have that one um, when we are at full staff capacity that it's that there's kind of just a clear understanding on the board level for us as just uh, as governance as a governance body or just even just an oversight body um, kind of what are their directives and what are they kind of what are they working towards. So I'll take the clerical unit, which is probably the hardest one probably for me to explain it a bit further. But if there's anything now that this unit is at full capacity, it would be helpful to know what they are doing um, and what their effectiveness is so that we can, again, inform our stakeholder partners, if, if it be tenants or landlord associations, how they can better utilize that unit. Um, recognizing that asking, putting this request on units that are not fully staffed or that's still being procured um, is unnecessary, especially in this time of the transition. But when these units are fully staffed or majority staffed, it would be beneficial for us to kind of check back in with them for us to get an understanding of what they're working on so where we can better serve the, our, our constituents. Long, yeah. And if, if, if that made sense, let me know. But it was a little... little well, a, clar yeah. a clarification. Okay, so I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. Like, the clerical unit is one of the units that's been around the longest at the rent board, right? So the clerical unit really supports the hearings unit. So, you know, for just as an example, um, uh, for equity, we mail all of our rent board decisions. You know, there are many people who... Um, don't have access to technology. And so though the that unit mails rent board decisions. They process all the decisions. They do the data entry in our system. They do the data entry on the eviction notices. They do the data entry of buyouts. Um, there is an extreme amount of work going on in that unit um, that is constantly benefiting the, the landlord and tenant communities. Um, and engaged in the core work of this department. Understood. Um, the intent of my question was to understand how do you, how do you gauge an effectiveness of a unit? Uh, that's that's not to say the unit is being ineffective. It's just more of a qualitative question, and that's something that can certainly be taken up separate from the budgetary conversations. Uh, but that's just something I'm just curious and trying to understand a bit more nuancedly. Um, Understood that they are a matured unit, uh, that they're working, that they've had long relationships and they're active in the community, but the intent was just to understand it in a different manner. I understand. I mean, if you, if you, Commissioner Sani, would, you know, de desire future reporting on, you know, I mean, you can go to the statistics first and then, you know, I can, I'm happy to look at that as a future item certainly i the the department is getting while small when compared to certainly other departments within the city is larger um is larger than when this board was first intended so therefore i'm just always curious on ways we can uh be mindful of how do we make sure that are always connected to our the use the end users are in our constituencies since that's hence the tension of that question yeah absolutely so, and, and so that does mean that there are some opportunities that we can ask ourselves, how do we gauge that? How to gauge our effectiveness and how do we do um, get a better understanding of it? So, I, again, I think it's a, like more of a long-term conversation. Um, I do think that maybe the, the clerical unit actually is a more ideal unit to ask that question of because of their history. Um, because they, they have a bit more of a, they have a basis to first uh, to build off of. Um, 
So I'm having to have the conversation again outside of the budgetary process. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for just providing additional context. Absolutely. Thank you for your questions. That is it for me. Thank you everyone for your patience. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>
give me just a second. Yes, calendar items. I think we have, uh, so next meeting is March 14th, 2023, a month from now. Um, it is our first in-person meeting in nearly three years. Um, I look forward to seeing everybody in person. Um, and uh, I won't make any more comments about that. Um, and uh, I think we have four appeals. We might have five now. Um, and we will have uh, today's new business item as old business. And then we will again discuss future rent board commission meetings at that uh, meeting. So if you, I, you know, I will be sending out information to you about the March 14th meeting, but um, I think you know where room 610 is in 25 Van Ness. Um, security will know we're putting putting all the procedures into place trying to remember what we used to do back in the day um i don't think i've ever been in uh in-person meetings with some of you so that's exciting um it'll be nice to see you um and uh do reach out if you have any questions regarding that but i will be getting to we are uh, starting technology testing in 610 on friday so Getting on top of that. Can you let us know before the meeting if the if Wi-Fi will be available or not? Or um, absolutely, absolutely. I need to practice setting up my hotspot. If not, absolutely. Yeah, you're not the only one. <laughs> We're all doing the best we can. Yes, for sure. We'll confirm. Any further uh, input questions? Uh, for the reader, I will put down uh, Dave Wasserman, who's not here, since uh, uh, that's how you get appointed to these uh, for the Ohlone Indian, uh, Indian Acknowledgement. Uh, Dave would be the next reader. Thank you, President Gruber. Any further discussion? Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Happy Valentine's Day. And uh, happy Valentine's. On our way. Meeting adjourned. Thank you for your support. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you, Diana.